Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Jen Oshman, on how your church can reach out to people by welcoming them in. We were wildly different and and sort of marginalized. We were on the outside, and these people welcomed us in. And so that's, I guess, where the seeds were planted for me to then want to grow up and also be a welcoming presence in my local church. Jen Oshman, next. Seasoned missionary, author, and podcaster Jen Oshman wants believers to understand what the Bible says about making space for others in their churches and in their lives, regardless of how different they are from each other. She and her husband planted Redemption Parker outside Denver several years ago. Jen is the author of the book, Welcome, Loving Your Church by Making Space for Everyone. Jen, tell us why this subject is of interest to you. Yes. Well, um, as you know, or as you may have seen, there is a whole series called Love Your Church that is published by the Good Book Company in partnership with the Acts 29 Church Planting Network, of which we are a part. And um, it's inspired by a book that Tony Morita actually released a couple years ago called Love Your Church. Mm -hmm. And um, that book is wonderful. I read it right as we were sort of coming out of the pandemic, out of all of the really stringent lockdown scenarios that we were all a part of. And it was such a motivating, exciting book to me um, as I thought about our body reconvening, being together as a church body once again. And so when Acts 29 said, hey, we're going to actually take this book and turn it into a series, would you like to be a part of it? I said, yes, absolutely. I'm all in because I, Bill, I really do love the church, whether it's my local church or the global church. Um, to me, to be being a part of the family of God is just the greatest blessing of my life. And so when they approached me to be a part of the project, I said, absolutely. And, the, and then they said, how about the book Welcome. How about you take that one because you have been a missionary overseas and you've had to welcome others in a number of different cultural scenarios or be welcomed in by those who are local in those places. And so, um, yeah, it's a, it's a subject that's near and dear to my heart, one that we've had to walk out for many years. And I'm just really grateful I got to put pen to paper because it was really fun to write that book. Well, it's interesting. As you said, you have practiced hospitality. Uh, I believe uh, in your book, you say three different continents different cultural contexts. So what it looks like to welcome others into church, it, it can can vary a little bit. I mean, there's obviously some commonalities, but can you tell us a little bit about those different experiences and 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 what it looked like to to welcome people into uh, into your churches? Sure. Yeah. So the first place my husband and I served after being married for a year, we headed overseas um, and served with a mission called Cadence International, where we ministered to the American military stationed in Japan. And we lived there for 10 years and we actually lived inside our church. And so our, our little apartment wow. was off to the corner and then the big church was right next to us. And we had a newborn baby and I had a couple more kids. We adopted another. And so our family life and our church life was completely integrated. Now we were in in Japan, but we were welcoming American military members. And it was shortly after 
9-11. So the um, opportunity to welcome in service members and their family was just incredibly ripe because they were in a crisis scenario mm. and looking looking, you know, for answers, so the meaning of life and what happens when you die and how can I get through this day or this next deployment. And so that was just such a rich experience. Now we transitioned from that, just a move of God um, to church planting in the Czech Republic, which was a communist nation. And it's a very atheist nation. And we were ministering to Czech nationals there. And so welcoming in in that scenario was much more difficult. And we had to really put in the time to gain trust and grow relationships, learn the language, um, and just become more deeply integrated into the lives of our, our new Czech friends and neighbors. And of course, that ministry was was hard and and much less fruitful, at least from my human perception. Mm. Um, and then again, the Lord moved us to the United States, and here we are in the suburbs where we never thought we would be. Um, but this is it for us, and and welcoming people in. And you know, as you mentioned in the prayer, we prayed right before that we you you and I started recording and the great dechurching. You know that people aren't coming back to church or people have left the church in droves. And so we're battling that here in the suburbs as people have things like soccer practice and soccer games and hockey tournaments to go to. Um, we want to be a welcoming presence here as well. So three wildly different scenarios for sure. And in, at least in the United States, uh, there are certain stereotypes of church that uh, that can be a barrier to people coming. Can you talk a little bit about those stereotypes? Yeah, for sure. Now there's a new book on the market. I can't wait to get my hands on it. In fact, I'm not sure if it's out just yet, but lots of study has gone into it. You might've seen an um, article in the Atlantic recently about it, but it's the great de-churching. Mm. And I think that's the title of the book or the de-churching of America or something like that. So I'm, I'm eager to get my hands on that data because I'm so curious about it. But um, I know some of, of what it already says, just have, having been a church planter here in the United States for the last seven years. Um, but church, I think largely here in the wealthy West, or here in the United States um, is seen as as just no longer relevant um, as another activity for already very busy and stretched um, singles and families. So um, the the sort of wealthier we are and the healthier we are, which we we are in America globally speaking, we're um, you know a self sufficient people or so we think. Um, the less felt need we have. Um, or the less fragile we feel. And so I think that there is just people are busy and and eager to satisfy themselves and um, fill up their weekends with things that feel good or are maybe more instantly gratifying. And so church feels like it's no longer relevant. And of course, I think that's heartbreaking and not true. But I think that is the perception largely is that it's just irrelevant. Now, you know, you asked about stereotypes. There's other stereotypes, too, of course, that church is a country club or a clique, yeah. um, a place that, you know, people aren't welcome in, or maybe a, a judgmental place, a place where you'll only find harshness um, and maybe even rejection. So there's those stereotypes, which, uh, you know, unfortunately, are stereotypes for a reason. There, there are places and ways that maybe Christians have earned that reputation, and that is also heartbreaking. Well, the book is Welcome, Loving Your Church by Making Space for Everyone, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about your own experience, Jen, and you can remember walking into a church for the first time. I mean, this whole issue of welcome is something that, is kind of, even though it was a number of years ago when you were a child, t tell us about that and some of those first impressions. 
Yeah. Now, so my husband and I, neither one of us are from Christian families. We were both the first believers in our family. Um, my parents divorced when I was eight and a very secular home um, up until that time. When I was nine, my mom decided that um, we ought to check out church and and perhaps, you know, there was a felt need there for her as a single mom. Mm-hmm. And so we were invited by a teammate's family. I had a, I played on a soccer team and a teammate's dad actually was a pastor and they invited us to their church. And um, it's just the grace and providence and goodness of God that this church was a Bible-believing, just gospel-centered, gracious people. But there was me and my mom, just a single mom and a girl walking in. And I remember it very, very well because we walked through the doors of the sanctuary and into a room full of intact families. There was a mom and a dad and children um, on every pew. Mm. And uh, we were the only ones without a dad or or more siblings. And I later, you know, understood the denomination was a, a Dutch reformed denomination. And so everybody in there was Vander somebody, and we also are not <laughs> Dutch. So I know more now about the church, um, but I'm just so thankful because I heard the gospel there and I was welcomed in. And, you know, my Sunday school teacher taught me the Lord's prayer and the, um, the there was a a children's theater in the church and they invited me to be in the play. And I, I heard the gospel from the pastor and I believed and I made a profession of faith. And so we were wildly different and, and sort of marginalized. We were on the outside and these people welcomed us in. And so that's, I guess, where the seeds were planted for me to then want to grow up and also be a welcoming presence in my local church. Well, what, what um, from where you said, and, and your husband obviously uh, are important points to keep in mind for being a welcoming uh, church like that for people that might come to your church, maybe like you and your mom, uh, that were churches, and you never know who's who. They could be somebody visiting yeah. from another church, or it could be their first time inside a church. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just so essential um, that we remember, you know, the first part of the book, Welcome, I just spend time really ruminating over and meditating on the welcome of Jesus and how he left his throne in heaven and crossed the great divide to come to this earth and um, live a perfect life and die on our behalf and rise again. And I just think of the distance that Jesus went and the price that he paid so that I could be welcomed in. And when I um, ponder that, I'm moved by it. I'm motivated by it. I feel like, well, Lord, if you can welcome me like that, when I was yet your enemy, when I was still trespassing against you, you laid down your life for me. Um, Just meditating on that and, and walking in gratitude for that makes me want to go outside my church and welcome others in because honestly, it's just a little bit uncomfortable and inconvenient for me to welcome somebody who's not like me or comes from a really different background or worldview. Um, but when I think of the welcome of Jesus, it, it pushes me out the door to do that. And, and so w- what's involved in that? I mean, in, in one sense, it seems kind of simple. You try to identify people that you don't know, that are that you can tell are visiting. For sure. I mean, obviously, those of us who are regular attendees or members at our church, we can identify those people. And so I remind people, the book is called Welcome. It's not called greeting. You know, this is not a book for the greeting team. This is a book for every church attendee, for every believer seeking to welcome in those who are not yet in the faith family and drawing them in that they might know Christ and then become family. And so welcoming really 
just begins with identifying somebody who looks like they're new here or I've never seen before and being willing to leave the comfort of my click or the comfort of my coffee in my pew with my normal friends and just walking toward the outsider and um, saying, you know what, these friendships can wait, but this stranger cannot. And so let me go welcome them. But then really going beyond that, you know, putting myself out there saying, hey, you want to come to lunch or you want to grab coffee or I know this is, you know, this is maybe awkward or really forth, you know, being um, forthright here, but our family would love to have you over this week. You know, it's just being willing to be a little mm. bit strange and inconvenienced um, and, and just to put yourself out there. I'm wondering uh, as far as the reasons that people attend church or the reasons that people might come to church, I mean, those are quite varied as well. Yeah. So my experience in the last seven years back in the United States has been the primary reason newcomers walk through our doors um, are a couple. We live in a very transitory community. And I think all of the United States is that now. There's People don't stay where they were born. They move around for jobs and schooling and opportunities. So, mm-hmm. so I think that um, isolation and loneliness and just a need to meet people is one reason that brings people through our doors. Now, they probably have to have somewhat of a church background or at least see church positively to be to think that, you know, I can go there and maybe find some friends. But you're absolutely right. It's oftentimes a crisis or a tragedy or something. Um, and, and COVID, you know, sadly kept us outside of church, but also the isolation from that brought some people back in. And there's oftentimes just a desperation. Um, People are going through a divorce or have lost a child or um, poverty a lot of times is what drives people into the church as, you know, maybe I can get help there, a financial need met at church. So um, there there are many reasons. I I, I would say the number one reason that people try church for the first time is because someone invites them. You know, that really is the best way to welcome is by extending a personal invitation. Um, But you're right, Bill, throughout the book, and just something that I try to rehearse to myself on Sunday mornings is remember what it feels like to be the outsider. Remember how um, desperate you felt or nervous you felt going somewhere new for the first time. And so I invite the reader to remember that, or if they can't remember that, because maybe they were born and raised in the church, to think about what it would be like to go into a completely foreign context. You know, what would it feel like for you, perhaps, to enter a um, a um, a mosque or mm. a synagogue or a Hindu temple? You know, yeah. Put yourselves in those shoes. How weird would you feel? How foreign would you feel? And what would you want someone to do for you as you crossed crossed that threshold? And you talk about, as you say, inviting uh, to the church or into the church, but also into our lives, and even it gets a little more personal into our homes, but ultimately into relationship with Jesus. It's kind of a, that's the end hope. Yes, absolutely. You know, I close the book with this encouragement. God calls us to be faithful, but it's only he who can be fruitful. In other words, Mm -hmm. he sets us in the times and the places that we're in. It's no mistake that we're in the church that we're in right now or that we're there on a specific Sunday and that that newcomer comes or that that person we invite finally accepts our invitation. That is not an accident. That is the divine providential hand of God. So we're called to be faithful. We're called to step out in faith, to trust the Lord that he is sovereign and that he's placed us there for this moment. But it's only God who can move people to accept the invitation or to change their hearts in such a way that makes them want to stay after they've been invited. And so I think we've got to take the pressure off, you know, 
We don't have to do this just right. We're going to mess it up. We're Mm. going to say silly things. We're going to regret the way we behaved at times. And that's okay. The Lord has not asked us to be perfect. He's asked us to step out in faith and to die to ourselves, to die to our own comfort, and to even be sacrificial in the way that we welcome. And so I do think we need to go beyond just shaking a hand at the front door and and really take Jesus at his word when he says, if you want to follow me, you must bear your cross. And so what does that look like? That looks like for, for me, opening up my home and extending a much deeper and longer term welcome than just on Sunday morning. And, and you know, I do think it starts on Sunday where we welcome the stranger in or we invite the stranger in. But um, I think the Lord is asking us to go further in, in terms of welcoming people really into our homes and into our families. Um, and people people are hungry for connection. I think you experience that at your church, Bill, and with other people that you talk to on this radio show is, is we all know that people are, are lo- there is an, there is a pandemic of isolation and mm. loneliness that was going on well before COVID and has continued and, and even gone much further since COVID. And so let's not shrink back from offering um, the balm to the soul, the the fellowship to the lonely. Let's let's be bold in offering that to people. Well, your book obviously gets into the scriptures a lot. You look at the book of Philippians and the book of Acts the, uh, to, to get some cues and some guidance on this. And for example, you take some of your cues and how to welcome people from Philippians chapter 2, and in Jesus, his becoming man, his his incarnation. And can you help us to understand the connection there? And there are a few things that you want us to think about in terms of that welcome. Yeah, absolutely. I love Philippians too. And so for anybody reading or listening today, you know, if you don't know what to read in your quiet time or you've got a Bible near you, I just would encourage you to flip open to Philippians chapter two. And you'll see this passage there where Paul says, have the same mind of Christ. And then he goes on to describe what the mind of Christ is. And he just describes in detail how Jesus did leave heaven to come on a rescue mission to us here on earth. And so there are three things that I point to in the book. And let's see, this is going to really try my memory here if I can remember them off the top of my head. But um, I encourage the reader to, um, let's see, forsake their status, I think is one thing, you know, that As a member of a church, you have some status, you have some comfort, you've got your coffee and your friends and your clique. And so my encouragement is forsake that, give that up as Jesus you know, gave up his status in heaven. Let's give mm. up our status of being known in our circles and going toward the outsider. And then secondly, to be um, a servant that we would be humble servants, that we would not see any job as below us, mm-hmm. that we would, you know, willingly serve those in our church as Christ served us. And then thirdly, you know, yes, indeed, Jesus does say to come and die, to serve and to be obedient, even unto death. And so how can we do that? How can we um, die to ourselves and die to our own comfort and convenience as we extend a warm welcome to others? So yeah, Philippians 2 is just drives me to worship mm-hmm. and also drives me to serve others. And yet at the same time, you look at the book of Acts. And mm-hmm. to see how, not only how people are welcomed, but what people were welcomed, yes. and how countercultural that welcome was 
Sure. Yeah. Well, like I said, this book is not called greeting. <laughs> there is very, it's, it's a really important distinction. I'm not just talking about shaking a hand on Sunday morning, but really welcoming people into our very families. And so I do talk about the, you know, the first century um, and the first centuries of the church were so radical and so wild because the first believers took Jesus at his word and the first believers were desperate for salvation and for belonging. And so the first centuries of the church looked radically different than their cultures around them. You know, women who were so marginalized were drawn into the church. The poor who were so marginalized were drawn into the church and the church became clearly, you know, a hospital for those who were hurting and a place of healing and reconciliation and restoration and um, Acts chapter two is so beautiful as it describes how people broke bread together and shared everything as each other had need. And they listened to the apostles teaching and they grew in their wisdom and knowledge of the Lord and truly gave themselves over to one another. And, and so as we welcome each other into to our faith families, that's what it ought to look like. And, and Bill, I'm speaking as one who has so far to go. Um, obviously, that's what the Lord calls us to, and I, I want to spend my life that way, but I am selfish and withdrawn and seek to meet my own needs before anybody else's. And so um, as I wrote the book, it it was convicting, you know, mm -hmm. it was exciting and encouraging to look at the welcome of Jesus, but it was also honestly very convicting as I, I recognized, you know, I, I often keep to myself or selfishly keep my own things um, rather than sharing them lavishly like the first church did, um, walking in the footsteps of our Savior. So my invitation in the book is to is to do that, is to to behave like the siblings the Lord has called us to be and to be that faith family that we are designed to be. Um, and you know, I'll just close with this. It's it's very counterintuitive and counter to our culture, but we were made in the image of God, and we see in scripture that Jesus, it was for the joy set before him that he laid down his life. And so if we are to have joy, then we must lay down our lives. And that's counter to my flesh and it's counter to culture. But honestly, that's where joy is found when we do take up our cross and follow after him. And, and there's really no shortcut to that joy. And so that's a reminder to myself and to the listener that when we lay ourselves down, when we welcome others in, that's that's where the joy is found. It's interesting, just sort of a, a little bit of a diversion for a moment, uh, as, as you talked about the inviting in of women, and women were uh, marginalized. They continue to be in, in certain uh, parts of the world, obviously, today. But back at that time, it was sort of universal. And you point out that I, I believe even today that women are, I don't know, how large of a majority, but I think most of us that do any kind of look at any percentages of these things, that, that women seem to make up a majority of churches and in, in Christianity in general. Can you talk about that? There are biblical reasons, uh, historical reasons for that fact. Yeah, I think that I think the number it's something like fifty five percent of the church. So it's not um, you know huge, yeah. but it but it is the majority. You know, more than half of most denominations or most congregations are going to be female, mm -hmm. and um and and I think that is because um, Christianity is for those who acknowledge that they are weak, and for those who that mm. acknowledge they need um, 
they need the rescue and the restoration of their Lord. And so, and they need the protection of their family. And so that has been historically true. And I think that is still true um, as women are marginalized in many places around the world or just physically weaker um, or in, in, in a weaker position, whether it's because they're bearing children or their moms or for whatever reason. Um, yeah, Christianity, we we admit is for the weak and and women find themselves in that position so often. And so, um, it is something to ponder. And of course, I could write a handful of other books as I think about that, that our congregations um, are made up of more than half our women. And so um, how do we how do we serve those needs? How do we meet the, the, those women where they're at? Jen, your church, Redemption Parker in Colorado, you say, and you've got this from retired Pastor Ray Ortland is the uh, Welcome Liturgy, I believe you call yes. it. Can you talk about that and, and why you think that is... Uh, that's an important thing that, that uh, your husband does at the beginning. I think you said of each church service. Yeah, every Sunday we rehearse as a congregation a welcome liturgy that was popularized by Ray Ortland at Emmanuel, um, his church at Emmanuel Nashville. But um, I for, I don't have it exactly memorized. I should. It's it's on the it's on the screen every Sunday, so I read it rather than have it memorized. But the gist of it is that this church opens wide her doors to all who are weary and heavy laden, to all who know they have a need for a savior. Um, the the point is, it's okay to not be okay, um, that really none of us in here are, that everybody in the pew acknowledges that they have a need for forgiveness and a need to be restored and a need for Jesus. And so I think that liturgy is so helpful for two reasons. First and foremost, I love that we believers and members of our church rehearse it every week because it reminds us of what is true about ourselves. And that is that we just have not arrived and we still right. need the tender mercy of our Savior. Um, but it also lets the visitor know, hey, this is a room full of people that know they have not arrived. So if that's you too, then welcome your amongst friends. So I think it's it shapes us and it, it tells the vis- the visitor what we think about ourselves. And I think it's a good it's a good place to be. And, and in terms of welcome, obviously people coming to the church inside the church, but to what extent does that welcome also look like uh, the church, the believers in it going out? into the community. Mm -hmm. I think it needs to. I think that, you know, um, like we talked about already, the church is seen as largely irrelevant and it's, it's, no longer useful in our context to sit back and wait for visitors to come to us. We we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our communities. And we're called to that, you know, the great commission. Um, I forget who I heard say it recently, but it's not the great suggestion. We're commanded, we're called to go. Um, and and that's for every single believer. So my my reminder to myself and to my my local family and to the global family is how then can we go? What are the felt needs in our community? What do the people around me, How? what does the suffering look like in my community? And that's going to look different than the suffering in your community or the suffering in Europe or Asia or Africa. Um, but what are the people in my community feeling and how can I move toward them with that need, um, seeking to meet their material needs and Lord willing, hopefully with the gospel as well. You mention also in your book that this is a an area of spiritual warfare. Certainly, um, mm-hmm. the people, uh, the enemy would want to keep people away from the church. How, how do you suggest we pray in this context? 
Yeah, for sure. I think it is absolutely spiritual. I mean, I think the enemy wants us to remain um, passive and doubtful and without hope or courage. And so I think we have to acknowledge that and confess that, just confess our weakness to the Lord and ask him to embolden us. And let us not forget that the power of the resurrected Lord lives inside you and me. And our God is able, and, and all of us have a story where we were far from Jesus and yet he moved toward us. And so um, let's remember that as, as we look at those who are far from Jesus, there nobody is beyond the reach of the Lord. And so I think we need to pray by confessing um, our selfishness and our passivity and our lack of courage, and then just rehearse what is true to each other and to cry out to the Lord and, and be reminded of the resurrection power and um, the providential hand of our God. And then speak Spur one another on and even hold each other accountable and create momentum and events where we ask the spirit to move and then trust him. Like I said, it's not on you and it's not on me mm-hmm. to get the results, but we are asked to be faithful. And so there, there is this level of accountability where we have to be willing to move out. And so let's do move out and then trust the Lord for the results. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to today's guest, Jen Oshman, missionary, author, and podcaster. Her new book is titled, Welcome, Loving Your Church by Making Space for Everyone. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again on Monday at this same time for another edition of His People. His People.